Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. And that goes to this whole area, which is about employee empowerment. And, and the majority of organizations do not empower their employees. People who had worked in the firm for a while knew where all the exits were. They'd been to, to meetings like this before, but they did it in every meeting because of what you're saying. It wasn't necessarily the information itself, but it was a signal that we culturally take safety very, very importantly here. Yeah, like I remember when I was hired by Beyond Philosophy and I asked for a reasonable raise and got <laughs> shut down immediately. Yeah, it's not a good culture. So Ryan, what's the difference between Apple and cable companies? This sounds like the start of the worst joke I've ever heard. Uh, <laughs> you tell me, Colin, what is the difference between Apple and cable companies? Well, the answer is a bloody lot of things. Yeah? <laughs> I'll admit that was not the punch that I was, I was anticipating, but uh, yeah, no, that's true. That's true. The key thing I've learned over 20 years of doing this, this being custom experiences, it's about a mindset, okay? And that mindset leaks out into the organization and the culture and the recruitment processes and the measurement and 50 million other things. And it eventually becomes, you know, the culture and, and the best description I've ever heard of culture is it's the way things that are done around here. So that mindset forms the way things that are done around here. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Today, we're going to do something I've never done, which is I'm going to reveal to people some of the ways that we go about doing an assessment of an organization's customer centricity and reveal some of the telltale signs that we look out for to effectively ascertain how mature that organization is on how customer centric they are okay you'll have to excuse me because the rain seems to be coming down here quite a lot at the moment is now an okay time for me to ask you to define customer centricity for our listeners or uh, have you got a big reveal coming up later uh no it's a, it's a, probably a good point actually so customer centricity for me is how the organization views their customer and whether they build their organization and experience around the customer or whether they build it around the product or whether they look at it sort of from what we would call an inside-out perspective. So an inside-out perspective is, do I look at things that are good for me as an organization or do I look at things that are good for the customer, knowing that if we do that, then we'll get the things within the organization? Does that make sense? Yeah, you anticipated my, my next question, which is an organization is not customer centric. 
what might they be? So what are the alternatives to that? Is it product focused or is it sales focused? Like, how do you think about that? Yeah. So back in 2004, I wrote a book called Revolutionize Your Customer Experience. I realized that this was at the core of the problem of how to improve customer experience is how whether the organizations were focused on those customers or not. And what I found myself doing was I would wander into clients and I would ask them a series of questions. And in my mind, I would then categorize them as to how mature they were at this whole area of customer centricity and whether they were capable of changing their customer experience or not, basically. And what I then decided to do was to try to sort of codify that. Formalize it. Yeah, to formalize it. So in the book, Revolutionize Your Customer Experience, we found that, and this was following a load of research, that there were four types of organizations. There were naive organizations, transactional, enlightened, and natural organizations. So a naive organization, think in your mind of the of the used car salesman, yeah? You drive the car off the lot that you've just bought, the engine falls out and you try to take it back and they're really not interested. They couldn't care less, yeah? We called it naive to try to indicate that they're either naive because they don't know what they should do in, but they certainly don't care about customers. You've then got transactional organizations. These are organizations who tend to treat the customer as a transaction. So again, they're still very inwardly focused on themselves, but they tend to treat customers as, as if they are something to be processed. Okay. And that's where the majority of organizations come in. So a cable company for me would probably fall into the low end of transactional. Enlightened organizations are organizations that realize that, and we call it enlightened because they recognize that there is emotion in customer experience. They recognize they need to take a more holistic view of the customer. And they recognize that people don't just buy on price. And then at the top of the scale, you've got the natural organizations. So these are the organizations that focus on the customer naturally. So these are the Disney's of this world, the Ritz Coltons, the Mandarin Oriental Hotels, the cream of the crop who naturally focus on what, what the organization's doing. Does that make sense? Good. Yeah, no, it's very helpful. So you codified this in terms of like definitions, but also in terms of measurement, right? You figured out what are the things that drive each of these categories. Yeah. We ended up going, okay, let's look at, and, and again, this is all through research. Let's look at what are the things that influence those orientations. And we discovered that there were nine, nine areas that affected it. So things like people, culture, marketing, measurement, systems, strategy, customer expectations, channel approach, all those types of things were areas. So what we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about two of them, right? Next week, we're going to talk about another two of them. And today we're going to talk about people and we're going to talk about culture. Let me give you an example. And this, I think, will help make it live for you. All right, great. So when you talk about people, one of the things that, again, imagine I've gone into this organization and I'm now going, well, how do you recruit people? What's the emphasis of your recruitment and selection? 
effectively what we discovered was people either turn around and go, well, we look for specific skills yeah, or knowledge of a product, or they turn around and go, and these are broad categories, but they turn around and go, well, we look for people with the right attitude. yeah, Or they turn around and go, well, we look for you know all of those things, but we also look for emotional capabilities. Or they turn around and go, well, we also look for people that are naturally good at delivering this stuff. Okay. The point I'm trying to make is you can therefore fit those four things against naive, transactional, enlightened, and natural. Does that make sense? Yeah. Can you go over the list again and then categorize them for me? Yeah. So if we walked into an organization and when again, we're looking at the emphasis of recruitment and selection, you would turn around and say, well, how do you recruit people? And they go, well, we look for specific skills. Effectively, that's all we're looking at. We're only looking for skills. We're not looking for the right attitude. We're not looking for anything else. It's just the knowledge of the product, etc. We would go, okay, well, that's naive. Okay. Transactional would be, well, we're looking for people that have got the right attitude. So we've got a generally positive attitude towards life. Well, that's transactional. And I assume that these build off of each other. So it's not that we're looking for somebody who's got a good attitude, but no experience. It's just that everybody needs to have knowledge of of the basic skills. Yes. Is that enough? Correct. Is that the starting point? Thank you. Yes, absolutely. That's a a really good way of of explaining it. The next category up on, on the enlightened side is, well, do they have any emotional capabilities? Right. So if we're trying to evoke an emotion in a customer, then shouldn't we be employing people that are good at that? Yeah. And then the natural state is, well, are they doing this naturally? This is not something they're having to think about. They are naturally good at communicating with customers. And if you put them through some form of psychometric, then they would pop out as being having those emotional capabilities. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's one thing. So let's get into the flow of that, right? And I'm going to pull up some other areas because what I'm hoping people will be able to do is to take some of these things and to turn around and say, well, what's my organization like? Yeah. How do we do recruitment or some of the other areas that I'm coming along? Or if they're a consultant going into an organization, well, what's maybe this is a question I should be asking my client going into uh, this organization because that will tell me how mature they are. Let me stress, under this heading of people, there are something like 12 different things that we would look at. So I'm not going to be able to go through all of them at the moment, okay? So another area that we would look at under people is the adoption of soft skills training, okay? So how much training do they give? So a naive organization, guess what, wouldn't give any. Mm-hmm. Because why Why do they need to do soft skills training? That's just ridiculous. A transactional organization, best way I can describe this is tell you an anecdote. I was once talking to a transactional organization, bearing in mind that this is like the majority of organizations. And they turned around and I said, well, you know, how much training do you give people coming into the call center? And they said, oh, we give them about six weeks, eight weeks training. And I said, okay, great. And and how much of that is on how to deal with a customer? And they went, yeah, well, we do half a day on Friday in the last week, you know? Right. So that for me just sums it up. It's that mentality 
that it's not important and it's reinforced by it's not important because they just are spending half a day out of a six-week, eight-week training course. That's transactional. An enlightened organization would, would not only be able to say, well, these are the emotions that we are trying to evoke. So here's training around those emotions, okay? But also a natural organization would then go into the whole area of understanding more about behavioral science and some of those key principles. I'm not saying they become, we train them to become a, a psychologist, but we train them on some of those key principles like peak end rule and stuff like that. Now, if we went in and they said, hey, we're doing training on peak end rule for people in the contact centers, yeah, I'd be going, great, well, that's pretty mature. Therefore, the, therefore, that's one of the things that show you that you're a, would indicate you're towards the more natural state on that naive to natural continuum. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hiring and then also training, kind of what gets, what are you looking for? And then what gets emphasized once people are in there? Yes, yeah. yes. And under this whole area, again, of people, another area we would look at is, well, what's the importance that organizations place upon people? Yeah. Yeah. Are they just seen as a commodity? Yeah, we got Bert starting next week. He may leave after a week. Who cares? He was an idiot anyway. Right, you know? right, right. Guess what? That's naive. Is it more sort of transactional? Well, we've got these people and it's actually about churn and yes, we need to we need to keep people and stuff like that. But you know what? Marketing and or sales are far more important than customer service and we really don't worry about them and Another area is, yeah, we have employee surveys, but nothing really happens about them. This is typical of a transactional organization. Tick in the box. Yes, we say we say employees are important. Yes, we say employee engagement is important. Yes, we do surveys on employee engagement. But does anything happen? Nah, it's just the tick in the box mentality. Does that make sense? So, I mean, this is really interesting to me. You're essentially arguing for a depth of culture in this, right? Because theoretically, it should be possible for an organization to be customer-centric and still treat their employees like garbage. In theory, right? In theory, those two things should be possible. It sounds like though in practice, and I can believe this, that would be very difficult or impossible to pull off. That essentially, if you're going to care about your customers and focus on what they is important to them, that needs to be baked into how you treat your employees too. Am I understanding that part of it correctly? Yeah, no, absolutely. So there was a really good book that I read years ago called The Service Profit Chain by a guy called Earl Sasser, who talked about this basically, which is effectively, and again, I've written another book on this called Happy People Give You Happy Customers, mm -hmm. which is if you focus on your people, the customer experience will follow. I think it's Richard Branson that yeah. says that customers are not the main thing. It's actually your people. Because if you focus on your people, then the customer experience will will follow from that. I use that Richard Branson quote in, uh, in my lectures and when I teach my MBA students. It's uh, something to the effect of if you take care of your employees, your employees will take care of your customers and your customers will take care of your shareholders. Correct. So essentially, it's, it's this argument, you know, you need to treat your, your employees well. Everyone has business problems. Everyone would like them solved. 
And what better way than asking two experts to weigh in on what to do? This is the essence of a new spot we have in the show called I'm in a Pickle. All we want you to do is to email us with your problems and Ryan and I will give you our best advice of what to do to resolve them. Hey Ryan, I'm really glad we're doing this, mate, because I've had this ingrained tone now for some time and I'm not certain what to do. Colin, let me stop you. We've discussed before no toenail discussions on the podcast. (laughs) Not your personal problems, business problems. It could be, how do you get your senior management to be more engaged in customer experience? How can you reduce the level of churn you have with customers? Or something specific, like how you should set the pricing for a service. And if you want to be anonymous, that's absolutely fine. We will simply look at all the problems and come up with the answers. So just email us at contact at beyondphilosophy.com. That's contact at beyondphilosophy.com and outline the problem. And Ryan, are you sure we can't sort out my ingrown toenail? Uh, Well, Colin, you know I do have a machete collection, so maybe we can. (laughs) So let's assume that you joined Beyond Philosophy and I turn around to you and Uh, say... I'd like to talk to you about getting a raise. (laughs) I'd like to say no. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was succinct. Sorry. So I, I joined Beyond Philosophy and... But I turned around to you and said, Ryan, you go and give those customers a really good experience. And if you don't give them a good experience, there's going to be hell to pay. And by the way, you've got to work every bloody weekend. And I couldn't care less about what's happening with your family and everything else. It just doesn't work, does it? It makes a lot of sense. But I can see where firms would miss this, that there needs to be just like a consistency in terms of just treating people like humans and valuing people as a way of valuing customers. And that's where I think, to be fair, where the whole employee engagement sort of movement has come from, okay, which is recognizing that you need to engage employees, but not just that. If you engage employees, you engage, by definition, customers as well on the whole area of of customer experience improves. But for me, the bit that I've always thought is, and and again, for me, this is a fundamental thought, which is we talk about behavioral science and we talk about it from a customer perspective. But you know what? And I don't need to tell this to you because you know this better than me, but this is about a human being. Yeah. Yeah. And guess what? Employees are human beings, you know? And I've, again, talked to many different clients about this. So what's the peak end rule for the new recruit process? So for the new recruit experience, where does the peak end rule apply? What's the peak emotion that they're feeling? What's the end emotion? What emotions are you trying to evoke in your employees? And guess what? It should be the same as your the emotion you're trying to evoke in your customers. Yeah. So consequently, yes, a big area that has a big focus and a big impact on customer centricity is this whole area of people, which is why we're asking these questions. And and sorry, I'm getting excited about all these things. (laughs) But for me, it's, again, what we say all the time, which is it's never one of these things. It's the mixture of all these things that come together that then manifest themselves 
as the organization being naive, transactional, enlightened, or natural. Okay. And it could be that you've got a particularly strong people area, but it could be that your customer strategy, which is another area we'll talk about next week, is weak. And therefore, that's the area that you need to focus on or, or vice versa. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. And it sounds like it, this is more a function of doing all or nearly all of these things as opposed to checking a box along the way and doing some of them. Yeah. So let's go on and give you another another example in this area of people. The degree to which employees are empowered, big area, massive area. So again, imagine you're going in and you're saying to people, okay, so how much empowerment have your employees got? So a naive organization would say, got none. Yeah. Wouldn't trust them as far as I could throw them. They're you know, a bunch of idiots. A transactional organization would say, well, we give them $50, $100, but you can't really trust them. They wouldn't say this, but this is effectively what they're saying. You know, they haven't got the intelligence to make these complicated decisions. The fact that they're making complicated decisions in their personal life every day of the week is, is neither here nor there. And the enlightened organization would turn around and say, yeah, we, we give them the ability to sign off a $1,000 or something like that. A natural organization would say, yeah, we trust our employees absolutely and they make the decisions on things. And I think last week we talked about costs in, uh, we did a podcast on the five rules to guarantee to give you ROI. And this is an example of that cost area because I was once talking to a client who basically said that they had just been into, they were dealing with a customer complaint. They were late to a workshop that we were running and they were late to this workshop. They came over and apologized and said that they'd just been dealing with this customer complaint. Turned out that they had 12 people looking at this customer complaint. This is, this is like a VP, okay? So VP and director level. It had got to the escalation process. And I said, how long did you discuss this for? About an hour. How much did that meeting cost? The point I'm trying to make is the thought was about how to stop the customer do this, not to go, hold on, if we put the customer through this process, it's going to cost us X amount of dollars, and therefore wouldn't it just be simpler to give them the $500 that they want? A, we get a happy customer, and B, we actually save money. Yeah, And that goes to this whole area, which is about employee empowerment. And, and the majority of organizations do not empower their employees. Does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah. The good news is we're talking about this a lot, and this is I'm getting quite passionate about this. That gives you a flavor of on the people side of things. What I want to talk again about, and these these are two of the biggest areas, people, but culture and leadership is is one of the other nine areas that we would look at. And again, think about this, we're going into an organization, we are asking them this question, okay? So how much time does a senior manager spend talking to customers? Mm -hmm. Okay, because again, naive organization would say, oh, he, he's far too busy for that, wouldn't do that, yep. wouldn't do that at all. Transactional organization would say, well, you know, once every three months, he goes to a forum. 
an enlightened organization would say, yeah, we have a process where every month they talk to a customer. And a natural organization would say, yeah, we, we get senior managers to deal with customer complaints, not all of them, but a sprinkling of them. And they regularly go and talk to customers on a, on a regular basis, depending on obviously the business you're in. But you get, again, the thought process. The thought process is the more contact that the senior manager has directly with customers shows that enlightenment, which is, is the key thing. Let me pay devil's advocate here. Sure. Senior manager's time is extremely expensive and very valuable. So why is direct customer engagement necessary, especially if we're going to trust our employees, which is one of the, the previous ones? Well, why, yeah. does, why does that need good to happen? Good challenge. Yeah, good challenge. So for me is because it's easy to lose touch with reality. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The challenge is that the bigger the organization, the more it's easier to lose touch with what's actually happening out there. I wish I had a dollar for every time I saw that happening, Yeah, where you go and talk to somebody on the front line and they understand the problems. You go and talk to somebody at a senior position and they don't understand those issues. And this goes back to that we've talked about before, confirmation bias. They think they know, but they don't. Yeah? yeah. Being able to consider and touch the customer is important. So one of the things we've done in the past has been speed dating. You remember those old, before the internet, you used to have those speed dating things. Not that I, I ever went on one. My, my marriage <laughs> predates even that. So um, I remember matter. reading about them, yes. But imagine that concept where you've yes. got 12 customers, and let me put it in the customer perspective, 12 customers in a room, okay, you've got 12 senior execs, and basically what they do is they rotate around the 12 customers, and they can ask the customer questions, you made sure that you got a mixture of customers, but it's a really good way of, of hearing direct from the coalface what's happening, giving senior managers complaints to deal with, I'm not talking about dealing with loads of them, but two or three a month is a really good way of them seeing the problems that they are causing customers rather than getting caught in their ivory towers, basically. Is the problem in your experience one of censored information where people lower down in the organization kind of don't want to reveal the ugly truths that are happening? Or is it or is it one of perspective taking where the senior management may read about problems or issues, but just kind of can't experience it secondhand? Or is it some combination of all those things? Or is it something else? It's a combination of all those things. So it's a combination of the type of culture that they have. Have they got a culture that embraces challenges, that embraces problems? Or is it the type of more of a dictatorial culture where you don't want to turn around and say anything against your boss? Because if you do, you're going to get cut off at the knees, basically. Yeah. Like I remember when I was hired by Beyond Philosophy and I asked for a reasonable raise and got <laughs> shut down immediately. Yeah. It's not a good culture. Yeah, it's not a good company to work for, I've heard. Yeah. <laughs> the boss is a real boss. <laughs> oh, I swore. <laughs> Okay, so let me quickly go through another couple just to give you a, a sense of these. So one of the other areas I particularly like is 
asking to look at a typical team meeting agenda. Okay. And what I'm looking for is where, if at all, customer experience is being discussed. So naive organization wouldn't care less about talking about customer experience. Okay. Because all they're worried about is revenue costs, those types of things. Transactional organizations typically would have an area about the customer at the end of the agenda. If they have time to get to it. Correct. And invariably they don't. Or it only gets talked to for, you know, for five minutes at the end. But again, mindset is it's the least important thing. Look at what's the most important thing. Revenue. Yeah. Enlightened organization would start to bring that up towards the top. And a natural organization would start with it. Okay. Would start to say, okay, let's look at the customer stats. Let's look at the net promoter score. Let's look at how, how our customers are feeling, for et cetera. So again, small little thing, but an important area. Does yeah. That make you've, sense? you've told me about this uh, before as you've gone into organizations. And I always thought it was an interesting measure, an interesting way to get quick insights. I consulted once for a company that wanted to improve their safety. And so they would start every meeting, like even, you know, I went to meetings with the senior executive staff in their boardroom and they would start every meeting with a very brief safety discussion. So, you know, in the event of a fire, the exits are there and there, and we want to make sure that we head up the, the stairway at the end of the hall, that kind of thing. People who had worked in the firm for a while knew where all the exits were. They'd been to, to meetings like this before, yep. but they did it in every meeting because of what you're saying. It wasn't necessarily the information itself, but it was a signal that we culturally take safety very, very importantly here to the point where we're going to talk about it all the time. And what gets talked about is what gets focused on. So yeah, I, I think that's a very clever measure. Good. Last one I'm going to talk about is the degree of which the culture has been formally defined. Okay. Mm. So one of the things that, again, surprises me is the lack of the way that organizations define their culture. So naive organization, now they wouldn't even probably know what the word culture is, to be honest with you, but not worried about it. Transactional organizations have not defined the culture and they've started to recognize it. it's needed. Enlightened organizations would start to say, okay, we need to define what our culture is. But natural organizations are more of a cult than they are than, than culture. Does that make sense? So are, if you are think you of, arguing in favor of cults here? Well, yeah, I am. And, and the reason I'm, I'm it's not I'm a direction I was expecting this to go from. I'm, <laughs> I'm listening. So here's the, here's the, the bit I'm arguing for. A cult knows what they want. And they know the type of people that can deliver that experience. So I would argue that Disney is a cult. That if you are employed at Disney and you don't fit in, you know about it because you stick out like a sore thumb. Mm. But if you're part of that cult, yeah, then it feels normal and good for you. And therefore you stay there more. Does that make sense? Yeah, so it's it's almost an argument about how deeply the culture is baked into the organization. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. and feel free to disagree with me, mate. Uh, no, I just uh, that word cult makes me a little uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with you. So, I mean, if you if you look at some of the cults that have been around, you go, yeah, that's a problem. But I mean, those are extremes. I think the point that you're making with regards to like is the company culture a jacket that you put on when you walk in the door of the office? Yes. As opposed to, and I think your your example of Disney does clear that up a lot. People who, who work at Disney, by and large, work there because they really want to work at Disney and they really want to be a part yes. of that ethos, that culture. Yeah. yeah. So let me draw your analogy out a bit further because I think it's a good one. Is it a jacket that they pull on or is it a jacket that they naturally wear? Yeah. So I'm pulling on this jacket, in other words, and now you're getting into this whole area of emotional labor. You've heard of emotional labor. Right? Sure. I mean, I do record a podcast with you once oh, a week, uh, which is emotionally <laughs> exhausting. So, yeah, no, I'm aware. I'm aware. But can I act in that way? And therefore, people don't know about emotional labor, but you're effectively doing something that's not necessarily natural for you. Or for me, the cult is it feels like I'm at home. I can just be myself. Yeah. I don't have to worry about things. I don't have to think about how I'm perceived because I'm everybody else here is like part of the family. Yeah, no, I again going back to your your Disney example, like I think a lot of the people who work for Disney like that's the clothing they put on naturally in the morning anyway or they they like want that to be a part of their daily perspective as opposed to being an obligation, something I have to like change my mindset in the parking lot before I walk in. Yes, exactly. So let's take a step back. There are those four areas, naive, transactional, enlightened, and natural. And that sort of tells you the orientation of that organization. And then there are these nine areas that make up those orientations. We've gone through a couple of them, people and culture. We're not planning to do all nine. Next week, we're going to look at uh, three areas. Uh, We're going to look at customer strategy, marketing and brand, and hopefully customer expectation, and just pick out some of those. And, And this is in the hope that you'll take this podcast and go, well, what's my organization like? Where does it fit along these things that we are talking about? This is not the complete pictures, as I mentioned before. And the other thing I would say is, As we've talked about some of these issues, people will know hopefully now that we're doing this slot called I'm in a pickle, Mm -hmm. which is effectively tell us what your problems are and um, we'll try and deal with them. If any of the conversation today has highlighted a pickle, a problem, then please just drop us a line at contact at beyondphilosophy.com. That's contact at beyondphilosophy.com and outline the problem. And we will then either have a complete show on it or just do a segment in one of the shows where we can hopefully address some of some of those issues. Any last pearls of wisdom, Ryan? If you're trying to form a cult and want some advice on it, you're really having a pickle about cult formation. <laughs> Give it a drop sign. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Thanks very much, everybody. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks a lot. Cheers. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. 
Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer. Intuitive Customer.